From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For nearly 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Derek Hayes. Good afternoon, Derek. Good afternoon. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, excellent. Thank you for being here. Before we begin, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Okay. Well, welcome. Great to be We're back, back again. in studio. Show. I know. And I find I say it on every show, but we learn so much. The feedback has been phenomenal. Uh, your listeners, I know, are very much enjoying all of the shows and all of the expertise that you bring to this. So thank you for your time. Thank you for doing this Absolutely. for all of us. It was us. fun. It's enjoyable. It's also um you know, you talk about the feedback. I've received lots of emails. I've also received a few phone calls, one from California, which really? is interesting. Uh-huh. So at the end of every show, I always set you up to tell all of our listeners how to find you. But I want you to do that now. Let's sure, not wait to the end of the show. Let's go now. So if you're listening and you're tuning in and you've even thought that you might have a question, legal question, you want to reach Derek, tell all of our listeners how to submit their questions for the podcast and how to reach you as an attorney, if sure, they may sure. need your services. Well, the first place to start would be my website. It's uh, Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M, Hayes, H-A-Y-S, dot com. So Derek M. Hayes dot com is the website. On there, you'll see a chat feature. So as the chat feature comes up, you can uh, respond directly to that, and we'll be able to communicate via chat. Or there is a podcast tab where you can click that, go to listen to all the prior podcasts, as well as submit your question. When you submit the question, only ask for a name. You don't have to give any other info. And then finally, there's also a feature where you can uh, send me an email directly through the website. If it's about a specific case, you're looking for a potential legal representation or have a general question, you can provide your name, your phone number, and I'll be the one to call you. And we'll talk, talk about what happened. And I'll let you know if it's something I can help you with. But again, that's DerekMHayes.com. The email address is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, at DerekMHayes.com. I also have Facebook, the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes, Twitter, the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes, and then phone numbers. It's uh, 404-777-HURT, H-U-R-T, or 678-225-0970. So you can reach out to me any of those ways. I will talk to you directly. And as always, the initial consultation is always free. So it's not a charge at all to speak with me. I'm happy to discuss your potential claim. And if I can't help you, I'll, I'll be more than happy to take the claim on. All right. Well, thank you very much. And basically, if you're listening, if you need Derek M. Hayes, 
just Google it because yeah, you you, he's you on can do every that platform that there is, yeah. right? Google is a yeah. wonderful search tool. You're right. I, All right. Well, Derek M. Hayes, we're going to jump into today's show. So on your last show, we we spent the last show answering questions about proving damages. Always interesting and informative. And it was very interesting to listen to the tips that you gave everyone. I think it is safe to say that most of the tips are things that people don't think about on their own. The whole series has been very eye-opening, right? Um, yes. All right. Did you get any emails about the past show? Yes. As a matter of fact, I did. I even had someone, and this was really interesting, someone came by my office. They called and then came by the office. Um, after listening to the podcast, and she realized that she was making a big mistake trying to handle her claim on her own. Uh, she has a current personal injury case involving a car wreck, uh, had been trying to deal with this directly with the insurance company, uh, but listening to the podcast brought some things to light that she had not thought about, and thankfully, by the time she came to me, she had not provided the recorded statement to the adjuster. I know we've talked about that before. You don't want to do a recorded statement, at least not without an attorney involved. And she also had not provided the medical authorization form, the HIPAA form, that allowed the adjuster to go and get all of her medical records. At that point, uh, you know, an attorney's job is to partially be a filter. I'm here to give them what they need, but also, too, there are things they don't really need, things that can be used to confuse the issues, to confuse a jury. So with that being said, thankfully, the medical authorization form had not been provided, nor had the recorded statement. So it was nice to hear from someone who did listen to the podcast and realized that I could help her. And I am. She's now a current client. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, well, it was good. great. Yes, for you and for her to get some great representation. And, right, exactly. You know, hopefully you can help her out with her claim. And she was realizing the trap she was falling into already. And that's the key. Uh, after the podcast, she thought about uh, some of the tips we talked about and realized that some of the things I'd referenced were exactly the things the adjuster had already started to do. This is going to take a little off topic, but you just said a recorded statement, and we've talked about this in past shows. Don't give a recorded statement. Do you always know if it's being recorded? Virtually every phone call at an insurance company is recorded, but for recorded statements, a little more formal, they'll say, uh, this is John Doe, I'm an adjuster for State Farm Insurance Company. And it's, uh, today's date is January 1st of 2020. And I understand we're speaking to Jane Doe. Jane, can you spell your name? And they'll, they'll identify you, have you spell your name and identify yourself. And then they'll ask very specific questions about the wreck, about your injuries, about your treatment, about prior tickets, anything and everything they can get out of you, they will. And again, those things are eventually used against you, not for you. So when they do a formal recorded statement, they're setting it up to let you know, hey, this is what we're doing. And then later on, you can't say, well, I didn't realize you were doing that. You, you asked me questions and I didn't get a chance to answer. Well, no, you knew it was a recorded statement and I'll play it for you. You identified yourself. You gave the authority for me to record the call and you responded to my questions. So it's wow. a trap. It's a trap. Yeah, okay. exactly. Well, thankfully, she had not given one. Right. Exactly. right. So you can right, help right. her through it. Right. All right. Well, that is great. And I hope that other people listening will follow her lead and reach out to you before they try to handle things on their own. That's the most important lesson in this. Uh, all right. What do you want to talk about today? Well, today is kind of a behind the scenes look at being an Ooh. attorney, things you learn, stories, kind of sort of the okay. issues that, that you deal with and, and points of, um, again, just learning uh, the ropes is being an attorney. So are we going to talk about some cases? Yes, we are. That's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, I it, know is. it is. No, know. it really is. And, and, and not only yours, but there are others that I reach know. out and talk about. Right. I understand. If it's my favorite part, um, 
you know, the legal mumbo jumbo, it's great. Like I said, that's the educational part. But I want to hear how you're helping people. I want to hear about their cases and, and what people go through. I think that's intriguing to everyone. Yeah, and there's a fine line we walk as attorneys because there is a lot of attorney-client privileged information that I can never share. But also, too, there's confidentiality in right. settlements many times, either a mediation or an actual settlement with an insurance company for a claim. We can't discuss the facts, nor can we discuss the outcome. Uh, so many times you'll hear about a, a somebody being injured, it'll make the news, and they'll say a confidential settlement was obtained by all parties. Well, that's because now nobody can discuss it. Right. Um, you know, if it's Walmart, for example, just a picking a, a you know, big company, they may not want people finding out about something tragic that may have happened in a store. So as part of settling in the claim, they'll say in the release form that you are now bound by confidentiality, cannot discuss either the events of what happened or the potential settlement. Um, so, again, I just picked Walmart just because that sure, was on my course. mind. But ultimately, it could be anybody. It could be any big company or any insurance company. So, I do know, uh, being your partner in life, I will ask a lot. I'm saying this to all of our <laughs> listeners. And I'm like, okay, so how about this? How, how'd today go? And you always say, can't discuss it. Can't That's discuss right. it. I'm like, I want to know yeah. what happened. So and sometimes I probably can, but it makes me feel cool to say, I can't talk about can't that. Can't talk about <laughs> it, but he, he does say that a lot. So, what we are talking about today, um, I'm going to let you jump, uh, dive right in. Yeah, well, I still have countless topics for future shows that I'll eventually get to. I know on the last show I had a listener that reached out to me about his pending decision to go to law school. You yes, remember that? Yes. We don't know if he was a high school or college kid, but it was interesting that he was asking about whether he should go to law school. And it made me think really about sharing some experiences uh, that I've had personally through the years that kind of stuck with me along the way. Um, I think they've made me a better attorney, and you'll understand why when we go through them. I also think that the ability to tell a very captivating story is, is really one of the most important skills an attorney must perfect. Because, uh, in fact, your job solely in the courtroom is to be your client's storyteller and tell that story in such a way that you can persuade a jury to find in favor of your client and ultimately reward them compensation for what's happened. Well... Uh, law movies, attorney movies, courtroom dramas. I mean, they make the best TV and movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Is yeah. that why there's such a there's such a dramatic element to this? Yes. And in fact, kind of on a side note again, uh, not to deviate from the stories, but this is kind of story, a storytelling thing. Uh, I went to a trial seminar many years ago and several of the uh, sessions of the seminar were taught by an acting coach from Hollywood. And he had a litany of uh, very famous A-list actors that were his clients, his students, whatever you really? want to call them. Yeah. And so he provided us as attorneys, um, you know, acting techniques, things that are very dramatic for a courtroom that honestly, I've used many of those since then in, in trials. Uh, but it's amazing how, you know, you don't want to say acting is everything because you're not really acting. You're, you're telling the story, but you want to engage uh, and captivate a jury and have them follow every word that you're saying. Sure. You know, the old adage is hang on every word. And that's what you're hoping for, uh, because sitting in a jury box with a notepad and a pen can be very boring at times. If it's a monotone attorney who talks like this yep. and all they want to do is discuss facts and not really deviate from that volume or that tone. Boy, you doze off quick. Either that or you take that notepad and pen and you start writing your grocery list. We need eggs. We need bacon. Oh, yeah, we need uh, uh, bread. And, and so ultimately, nobody's really listening to the story anymore. That's it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect sense. Wow. Yes. Okay. Jump into your first 
item for today. Jump into the first what story? Yeah, is the first story. Is? It's a, it's really this is kind of one that's that I think every attorney could tell. It's a story about my very first case I ever took to trial. So, you talk about nerves. Wow. Dun, I mean, dun, it's, dun. oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I didn't sleep for three or four nights beforehand. And and you, you do your opening statement, your closing arguments 30, 40, 50 times. My dog was tired of listening to me. Uh, you try everything you can to make sure it's absolutely perfect. Not only your part of the trial, but the scenario going into the trial. And I'm not going to say what county it was. Uh, but I will say it wasn't a metro Atlanta county. It was outside the perimeter. Okay. Um, it was kind of a very routine personal injury case. It was a rear-end collision, a car wreck. My lady that I represented was injured. And ultimately, uh, you know, just, again, kind of a run-of-the-mill case, but we were going to trial. I'd filed the suit in, in magistrate court there as opposed to state court or superior court. So this was a magistrate court trial, um, which, again, is a little bit different. Well, do you want to elaborate on that? Because I know we've done an entire show yeah. on the different courts. Yes, and, and the reason why I chose magistrate court specifically for that one is it was a case that in reality was only worth three or $4,000 at best, at best. And state court, superior court, you go through depositions, you go through written discovery, a whole laundry list of things that are time-consuming and also expensive. And magistrate court's kind of like people's court on TV. It's simply a judge. There's no jury. Uh, and you go through opening statements, you have your witnesses testify, and the judge ultimately is the one that renders the verdict. There's still an opening statement, still a closing argument, all those things that are normally parts of a trial, but it's a little less formal. And if you're going to learn to try a case and kind of get your feet wet, it's a perfect starting point because even though it's still intense and intimidating, you're not in front of 12 strangers, you're looking at a judge. And the judge will interrupt, the, again, kind of like people's court, so it, the, a lot of the formalities are there, but it, it's still very laid back, I guess is the way to put it, compared to some of the stressors, again, that come with a jury trial. And, of course, as an attorney, you have that dream of your first trial ever. Um, if you've never seen To Kill a Mockingbird, the, the courtroom, it's an old southern courtroom with balconies and jury boxes. It's all wooden floors. Uh, just an absolutely beautiful scenario, stained glass windows. Sure, I mean, it's, sure. You know, it's the, like what you see on TV, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what we're all expecting. Right. And so as an attorney, you know, you're wanting that. You're, you're just pumped up and thinking, okay, I'm going to court. You're calling all your f friends and family, all your fellow law school students. I've got a trial today. I've got a trial today. So that was it. The buildup was tremendous, tremendous. And my thought of what it was going to happen or what was going to happen and the scene was was one thing. Well, then I had to temper that with the reality of the moment. So when I got there, the courthouse itself was being refurbished. And so we had to move our trial, like all the other trials, to an annex across the street. And I walk in, and it's folding chairs and folding tables on a cement floor. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, there was a wooden platform with a folding table uh, that was draped with a white tablecloth, which I thought was kind of funny for the judge. I didn't get a tablecloth. I just got the folding table. But the judge had a wooden platform and a folding table with a uh, tablecloth. Uh, when I walked in, too, the bailiff was sitting at the table with the defense attorney, in my case, um, and when I walked into the courtroom, they were having a pretty good conversation. My client and I walked in, the bailiff, the defense attorney were chatting, apparently about the neighbor of the attorney that had just had a stroke. They were talking about all the different people that they knew and uh, the, the um, condition of his neighbor. And so I realized pretty quickly they knew each other very, very well. 
And this um, is just the bailiff. Oh, yeah, this is the okay, bailiff and the defense is, attorney. Yeah, right, right. I got so you. <laughs> my point is that, you know, you walk in and, and you realize pretty quickly that this guy that you're going up against, who was a good bit older than me, uh, is well known by the bailiff, sure. who is probably the right hand man of that judge, like every other bailiff is. And the bailiff was an older gentleman. So I, I could hear them talking, like I said. But after I got set up at my table, the bailiff walked over to me. And he said, almost verbatim, uh, as, as I remember it, I don't think I've ever seen you around here, son. And, of course, that moment was that kind of you sink in your chair a little bit mo more, that his tone was kind of a little condescending and somewhat rude. But part of me wanted to just laugh and play it off and not really say anything, but the attorney side of me took over. So I replied by saying, well, that's because I haven't been in this courtroom before. I typically like the ones with real furniture, but it's nice to know that we're ready for a covered dish supper in here when we're done with the court uh, with the trial today. Nice. So, I mean, that's all I could come up with in the moment. So, anyway, yeah, but said I can that, hear you saying that. Oh, I know I mean, you, and I know how quick-witted you are. Yeah, I'm so. been, having been to many covered dish yes. suppers, that's what it was like: Aww. folding tables, folding chairs, and in the sanctuary. Oh, not the sanctuary, but the fellowship hall of right, the church, and that's kind of right. what it looked like. That really is. So thankfully he laughed and the defense attorney heard every word I said and he kind of laughed as well. But eventually the judge walked in, he took his spot on the wooden platform uh, behind the, the folding table. And, and my favorite twist at that point was the judge was wearing blue jeans, a dress shirt, a tie and a sports coat. So he did at least put the sports coat on. I really don't know what kind of shoes he had on. He probably had on tennis shoes, but nonetheless, he was very casually dressed. He introduced himself and then he told me about his deep connections to the defense attorney. This is the judge speaking at this point. Okay. So he proceeds to say, Mr. Hayes, it's good to see you in my courtroom today. He said, I want to make sure I address something up front. He said, uh, and he called the defense attorney by name. He said, he and I have known each other for many years. He said, not only is he a defense attorney uh, in this case, but he's also the city attorney. So we deal with each other all the time. I see him at social functions. We live in the same neighborhood. We go hunting together. We go fishing together. In fact, he, his wife and mine are out shopping together today. And I'm sinking either fur even further in my chair, and I'm thinking, home cooking, home cooking, home cooking. Well, what I'm thinking, this sounds small town. Oh, it is. It, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes, it you was. You just said like not said, Metro Atlanta. It wasn't Metro but, Atlanta. Right. right. It, it was It was a small town small outside, of, okay. outside of Metro Atlanta. Okay. So he's telling me all this, and then he finishes it by saying, so Mr. Hayes, what I'm saying to you is, I know the defense attorney extremely well. He's one of my best friends. So... Having said that, I'll give you a choice. You can ask me to recuse myself from this case. I'll be happy to do it. But before I do that, I want you to know that the other magistrate court judge in this county, he knows him probably better than I do. Oh, no. So at that point, all I could say was, and I truly had to think on my feet, I said, Your Honor, I trust your ability to be impartial in this case. I also trust your ability to listen to the facts, the evidence, and the testimony and make a fair ruling uh, that you see fit, regardless of any connection you have with me or the other defense attorney. And the only thing he could say back was, I appreciate your answer. You're exactly right. And I was hoping you'd say that. Let's move. Let's move forward. So, therefore, I'm in a, in a, a room with folding tables and chairs. Every time you'd move your chair on the cement, you can imagine the, <laughs> the racket. And the judge the is, is referring to me as Mr. Hayes every uh -huh. time I speak, but then calling the defense attorney by his first name. Oh. Yeah, I, I won't say his name. Right. But we'll say right. it's Joe. Yeah. Hey, Joe, what do you have to say about that? And I'm thinking, okay, well, and then after all was said and done, the culmination of the story is back then the magistrate court cap was $5,000. That's the most you could get in a verdict there. Well, as I said, the case was probably worth maybe three, maybe four on a really good day, but I got a $5,000 verdict. Look at you. 
So yeah, I was See? pleased. I, and you know, again, it's my first trial yeah. ever. It's great to know I walked out of there with the most I could get. That's awesome. Especially in a situation yeah. of home oh, There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will have to say there was not a standing ovation in that courtroom. I think everybody that was there, there wasn't even there weren't even seats for the gallery. I was gonna say, was anyone in the no. well, there, they there call were, it the gallery? Yeah. Yeah, well there you go. That's kind of what it was. Uh, the crickets were in the back because yeah. they were going fishing together after right, the, the right. case was over. But uh, there were a few people in there, and, and they were all standing up against the wall because there weren't any chairs for anybody to even right. sit in. It was well. crazy. <laughs> well, that's a very interesting and laughable and wonderful first story, and I'm glad you got the verdict that you did. I'm sure your client was thrilled. Yeah, the client was thrilled. I wonder what they were thinking. I actually I think I slipped a note to the client uh, You know, after I found out the connections with everybody, and I said, I, all I wrote was home cooking with a big yeah. question mark, and, and she just kind of shrugged her shoulders. And, you know, we were afraid that it was going to play against us, but apparently it played for played us. Played so. for you. All right. Well, that's wonderful. All right. Let's go on to the next one. What, what else do you got? Well, the next story is, is, you know, this is one of those that has stuck with me in a very personal way for a long time. It's um, It taught me that every personal injury claim is not the same. I mean, that's really, truly the lesson from this one. I had heard the phrase before in, in law school and even after that, that the easiest pain to bear is somebody else's. In fact, I'd even use that as a theme of a case. You, think about that. You the, actually use that on me. All I the time. have. Well, you're, you you're, say it a lot, but right? Think when about we're talking it, I mean, about our kid. I mean, yes, it's I very hear prophetic. It. It, it, yes, it is. I know. It, it's easy to listen to what's going on with somebody. Oh man, that's awful. And then you go and get in your car and you go home and you never think about it again. Well, I'm only or saying that you, because that statement is one of the profound statements in your life. Right. And I know that about you. So, right. yeah. The easiest pain to bear is somebody else's. And I, like I said, I'd used it as a theme in a trial before. So w- when you think about pain and suffering, and I want to recap some things we've talked about in prior podcast, pain and suffering is mental, physical, and emotional, past, present, and future. And that is relative to the person, the plaintiff, and their circumstances. So when a jury is awarding money for pain and suffering, again, mental, physical, emotional, past, present, and future, as to that individual. So in other words, you must understand, and and this is really the way to think about it, the human side of your client to truly be their zealous advocate and get a jury or a juror or an insurance company to understand what their injuries have personally done to them. And at this point, when this case came along, I'd already been practicing for a few years, and I was getting pretty much in a groove and handling all cases, not really the same way, but but very easily, so to speak. I uh, I'd tried several cases. I could go through the motions without any trouble. I wasn't compromising the value of any client's cases, uh, case, but I also wasn't really com- connecting, connecting completely with clients as much as I do now. And I'll say that this is the case that, that kind of turned the corner for me to understand the importance of really, truly connecting with my client. Okay. And this specific client really tugged at my heartstrings, and I've Aww. never looked at any other case the same since then. Really? This yes. must be a biggie. It, it was. And it was, again, an eye-opening experience that uh, kind of changed the way that I perceive clients and, and represent clients uh, in a more personal way. Okay. Uh, so my client in this story, she was in her early 30s. She was a single mom. She had a 12-year-old boy. I learned all that talking to her on the phone. Okay. So I scheduled a time to go and meet with her because her injuries prevented her from traveling. So I went to her home to meet with her. And when I got to her home to sign her up, I had the opportunity to meet her 12-year-old son. He was severely disabled, confined to a wheelchair, and nonverbal. Uh, he had some very, very bad conditions that prevented him from even being able to feed himself or really function at all without her help, nonstop, 24 hours a day. 
Uh, so during the meeting to sign her up, we're sitting in her family room. Um, she had to pull him out of his wheelchair. She had to put him over her leg, and she had to clear his airway probably two or three times during the course of our meeting. And we met for a little over an hour or so. Um, and each time she had to do that, she had to wipe his mouth. She had to clear his, his airway. Uh, and it, he continued to hold her hand uh, the whole time we talked. And it was almost as if she was reassuring him that he was, that, that she was there. Uh, because his head is kind of back in the wheelchair and he couldn't see where she was sitting in relation to where he was in the wheelchair. So his way of connecting to her, staying connected to her, was hold her hand. Um, so as I watched it, it was it was eye-opening for me and it was completely consuming for her. She was still engaged with me in discussing her case, but she also, too, never lost sight of him and what his needs were during the conversation. I felt helpless myself because I didn't know how I could help. I didn't know what I could do to assist in the moment. Um, but her mom was there, and her mother had to come in the room quite a few times and, and help with her son, which would be her grandson. Um, I found out that in talking to her that her church and also some of the neighbors around her had circulated a sign-up sheet even to provide not only meals but also 24-hour day, uh, 24-hour-a-day help for three weeks because his condition required 24-hour-a-day help. And she could no longer do this on her own. It was going to require her to get assistance. And suddenly, uh, well, you know, and, and one of those things, too, that kind of along those same lines, when she did try and help him out of the, the wheelchair, I noticed her grimacing. It, it was bad. She uh, grimaced. It, it was uh, a struggle for her to get him out of the chair and then also get him back in the chair. And that's why her mom came in to help out. Was that from her injuries? Yeah, it was, was from that her from, injuries. from right. why you were there? Right, correct. It okay. was from her injury. She had, had a back injury as well as oh, a shoulder gosh. injury. And he was 12. He probably weighed, uh, you know, again, I'm not great at guessing weight, but 100 pounds or so. Sure, sure. Yeah, I have a 12-year-old. Yeah. That's about what he weighs. And so she was having to lift him and put him over her leg. I and, couldn't as imagine. I said, it was very painful for her to do it. Sure. Um, and that's why she was requiring the help. And as I said, the neighbors, people in the church were helping with meals, but also 24 hour a day. Uh, people were signing up to come and stay in her home, not for her as much as it was to take care of her son because she couldn't. Um, so suddenly that run-of-the-mill personal injury case was no longer run-of-the-mill. Yeah, It was, again, an eye-opening experience to realize what her injuries were doing to her specifically. And I understood very clearly that every client now, starting with her, uh, you know, I'd done it already but not to this level, must be personalized in such a way that any adjuster, a defense attorney, a juror, for example, could truly understand what their daily life entailed. They needed to know what this back injury and the shoulder injury meant to her. The real value of her case would never have been justly compensated without understanding how her injuries affected her. And when that case went to trial, which eventually it did go to trial because I tried to explain all this to the adjuster, I tried to work through this with the adjuster. They refused to pay what the real value of the claim was. At trial, I was able to have her bring the son into the courtroom wow. and demonstrate for the jury, in front of the jury, what it took to get him out of the wheelchair and do all those things that I watched her do in her family room, yeah. in the living room. And so then the jury, with many of them tears in their eyes, realized exactly how badly that neck or that, that back and that shoulder injury affected her ability to not only care for him, but the connection that she enjoyed as mom for this son of hers that she had really raised on her own since he was a baby and he was now 12. Shame on that adjuster. Yeah. And again, the easiest pain to bear sure. is somebody else's. I could tell the adjuster all day what was going on with my client, but they 
didn't see it that way. They saw it through the lens of an adjuster who follows right. the company line. This is her injuries. This oh, is yeah. it's a know. back injury, a yeah. shoulder injury. Big deal. Okay, so and what? this is what we pay out right. for that. But having no care or concern for that that back in injury was affecting her son. Right. Mental, emotional, and physical, past, present, and future pain and suffering. Wow. And it was important for every one of those uh, aspects of that to be addressed in the verdict. And thankfully, I, I'm, I will say that we got a very good verdict for her that was far different what the outcome would have been if I had not had the chance to understand and learn what her daily routine involved. So now every time I, I talk to a client, I want to know those things. Absolutely. And it's very important. I've done some uh, day in the life videos for very catastrophic injury claims where we've actually had a videographer go and, and videotape uh, the routine for someone dealing with a catastrophic injury. Someone who's never been in a wheelchair before, who's now confined to a wheelchair because of paralysis, it, it's a life-changing thing. Not only for them, but also their spouse or right. the loved ones who are there to take care of them. Well, wow. I want, good for you. I mean, I'm speechless, you know, that you helped and, oh. Yeah, it was know. quite a story. You're tugging at my heart. And like I said, too. That, I can see why it was life-changing for uh -huh. you. And I, good for you just means that you knew what to do. You knew what was going to make the impact on that jury and get her some compensation to be able right. to help her and her son, hopefully for the rest of their lives. And I can guarantee you every one of those jurors, as they watched her do what she had to do, immediately their perception of her as a plaintiff changed. Sure. Because he was not in the courtroom during the rest of the trial. He couldn't be because he you know, required so much attention. But just for those, uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes when he was wheeled in, and, and, you know, and interestingly enough, when he was able to to see her in his wheelchair you could see a smile Aww. come across his face so again the jury saw that mother-son connection and what they were under, able to understand exactly what she was doing for him and now couldn't do for that period of time as she recovered well i'm proud of you for well thank you Oh, it's so sweet. And I, I am a mother of a 12-year-old boy. So for me, well, yeah, if I exactly. was a juror, I oh, right. my heart is just bleeding right now. That is so sweet. And I'm, I'm just glad you knew what to do. And apparently she called the absolute right person. And I can see, like I said, why that was life-changing for you. Yeah. All right. I think we have time for one last story. I think so, too. You better make this a good one because yeah. that's a tough one to beat, yeah, right? Right. And, and you're right. It is. But this is also one of those that was life-changing but in a different way. Um, the first story was my own personal uh -huh. story about yes. the courtroom and what I perceived it to be and what the reality of the moment was. And the second one was that understanding your client. Well, this third one was a little bit different, but it was very life changing to see how you can actually affect someone's life in a positive way okay. as an attorney. Um, so this story, again, kind of made me realize the difference that I could make. And now uh, as an attorney, I always look for that. What can I do to make everything better for this person under the circumstances. And at the time, the, this story itself occurred when I was working for a different law firm. I was a partner in a firm there, and I never have worked for a big insurance company. I've never worked for a big business defending claims that were filed by people against them that have been heard. I've only worked for people. And I've always hoped that my representation would make a difference in someone's life. Um, and, and again, this is a, a story, a perfect story for how that can work. So as I said, I was working for a different firm, and while there, another attorney in the office was handling a claim for a pedestrian that had been hit by a car in a crosswalk, and he suffered a pretty badly broken leg that required surgery. And the initial call to our office came from the hospital, because he was in the hospital for, I don't know, maybe a couple of days. And so the, uh, the attorney had spoken to the client, and 
And we were able to sign the case up and, and went and met with him and, and got his case signed up there at the hospital. And when he signed up, the paperwork is always the same. It asks for contact info, name, address, uh, home phone, work phone, all those ways that we can contact someone, email address, even an emergency, emergency contact. Well, he put his name down, but he didn't list an address and he didn't list a phone number. And he, instead of that, he just wrote, I live by the office. I'll stop by once a week and check in which was kind of unusual, but right, so right. What? we have clients that will stop in and it's not that big of a deal, but he also didn't list an emergency contact. He just said, I'll stop by every now and then. And so again, we really didn't think anything about it. So he would come by and, and he would pick up letters that we would normally mail out to a client or he'd pick up copies of things that had come from the insurance company that we'd always send to a client, you know, with a letter saying, here's what we received from the insurance company. Call me upon receipt so we can discuss it. So he would come in and, and the attorney would meet with him and, uh, anyway, so the case went on, and we thankfully were able to get a very good outcome for him based on what had happened. Again, he had a, a pretty nasty broken leg that required surgery um, and lots of physical therapy. And so we also assisted in him finding a place to get that physical therapy because getting emergency treatment at a hospital is, is pretty easy when you got a bone sticking out of your leg. Sure, yeah. They're going to do surgery. Right. They're going to heal it. They're, they're going to fix it. They're going to put a pin, some rods and screws in mm -hmm. there and, and, and take care of a compound fracture. But the physical therapy is a little bit more difficult to coordinate, especially if you have any, no health insurance and you're not qualified for Medicaid or Medicare or any of the other programs. So we were able to help him try and find somewhere and, and did find him somewhere very close by where he could go for physical therapy. And he did. He did everything necessary to get well and he recovered pretty well from his injuries. You'll never recover completely from a compound fracture most of the time. You know, doctors will say that, but he did recover as much as you could expect with that kind of severe injury. And ultimately, when the case settled and he came in for his disbursement, he received his check. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be in the meeting at the time because I had talked to him on the phone a couple of times and I had met him personally when he'd come by the office. And so I walked in to just say, you know, hey, we appreciate you letting us represent you. It's great that we we're able to get the settlement for you. Um, hopefully you never have anything happen again. But if you do, we'll be happy to, to talk to you then as well. Just, you know, closing the sure, door and, sure. and in a good way and, and making that final connection with a client. So I asked him, I said, so what's your plan? And he said, well, the first thing I'm going to do is go find an apartment. And I kind of looked at him like, well, okay, that's great. Are you moving? He said, no. I said, well, do you live in the area already? He said, well, that's the thing. I live under an overpass and it was only about a mile from our office. That's why he didn't have an address. So the entire time he was homeless. He would never tell us that because I, I'm assuming it was a pride thing. Sure, and, and I get it. Sure. He, he never wanted to say I'm, I'm homeless. I have no phone. I have no right. family. I have no way at all to communicate directly with uh, the office other than stopping by. So for him, stopping by was walking from the overpass where he called home to come by to to meet with us. Wow. And so he did, and he stayed in touch. He went and actually was able to rent an apartment. And here's the touching part, though. Because of the help we had given him, and this is someone who truly had nothing. I mean, you're not going to live under an overpass if you have substantial assets and the sure. ability to pay for somewhere to live. But he ordered and had delivered to the office a dozen roses for both of the paralegals that Aww. worked on his file. So this is someone, again, who was touched in such a way that uh, he was able to now, we'd helped him out. He was now yeah. able to find somewhere to live, and he was, and he was so happy about the outcome that he took time to thank them in that way for what they had done to help him. That's wonderful. Yeah. So I it made me understand stories. how much you I know, truly I know. can help a client. Absolutely. That, um, you know, had it not been for us, I mean, he could have gone to another firm. Sure. 
of course. But the, the reality is most people, unfortunately, that would never have done anything with that. They would have gone to the hospital, been healed, not healed, but the surgery would have been mm-hmm. done. And he would have gone back to his overpass. And, and that would have been it. That would have been it. Sure. And it could have clearly led to some sort of infection or the therapy that he was able to, to, to go through wouldn't have happened. And that could have been a much more severe permanent condition, and he still would have been homeless. The insurance company would not have sought him out. They never would. And there would have been no way to find him because he doesn't have an address. He doesn't have a phone number. Yeah. Well, I can speak to you and how much I see you go over and above for all of your clients. Every phone call, every email, sometimes at the detriment of your own family <laughs> when dinner is waiting or it doesn't matter to you. You will wait. If, if someone calls, if someone shows, you give everyone that the time that they need and deserve. And that's what makes you a phenomenal attorney and, and a phenomenal person. You well, know, I, I know where that. your heart is yes. and, and I know why you do what you do. And um, I appreciate you know, that. And, you know, and along those same lines, I've received birth announcements. From former clients, uh, you know that that's yeah. kind of fun, and and I the sad part is I've gone to some funerals, sure. uh, well, but the the family stayed in touch, and uh, yeah, they would call and and say you know unfortunately mom dad or, or yeah. their loved one had passed, and I would go, but but the baby announcements, wedding invitations, so yeah, it's 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 personally connecting with a client. Absolutely. And at the top of the show, we gave everyone all the ways and the social media and each way to find you. I just want to reiterate your phone number one more time. If anyone uh, would like to reach you and talk and possibly need your assistance, it is 404-777-HURT. Correct. And the other one? 678 678- Two two five zero nine seven zero. And go ahead and mention your website one more yeah, time. Yeah, the website is Derek D E R E K. The letter M as in Matthew Hayes H A Y S dot com. So Derek M Hayes dot com. If I'm not there in the office doing the podcast or in court depositions, whatever, leave a message or you can speak directly with my paralegals, and I assure you, I will call you back as soon as possible. Uh, and, and he will. Trust me, right. he will. <laughs> Derek, thank you so much for your time. Another fantastic show. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X. Mm-hmm.